Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, yes. Let's go. Thursday night football. Mitchell Cherbisky playing quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Just like we all thought it would be. AFC North kicks us off for the weekend last night. And it was exactly what you would think a Browns-Steelers Thursday night football game would be with essentially backup quarterbacks. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company. Oh, it's going to be a good one. I'm just going to, you know what? Some people may feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm not going to say that. We're going to have a great show today. Great show. Great way to end the work week. Get you geared up for the weekend. I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She just whooped it up like she was Arsenio Hall. I don't even know if she knows who that is. Maybe. Maybe she's seen him on YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. You know that. It's part of your being. You understand how much we love to hear from you. The hotline's always open. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We're going to talk UL, LSU, McNeese, and some more college football on today's show. We're going to talk a little high school football with you. And we're going to talk Houston Astros. And we're going to talk about the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. What, what? And, of course, we're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints. Four tremendous guests lined up for you today. James Yasko, our friend from the Lima Time Time podcast, will join us at straight up 7 o'clock. At 7.30... Former LSU All-American, SEC Player of the Year, first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears, and a man who will be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer, Natchitoches. Wendell Davis is going to be joining us. You're not going to want to miss this. Great conversation with one of the best to ever play at LSU. Rewrote the record books back in the day when it was a little bit more difficult to do so, especially at the wide receiver position. Wendell will be joining us at 7.30. At 8.15, Zach Miller, fantasy football expert, will join us. 
get you ready for the weekend. And then Fletcher Mackle from WDSU out of New Orleans. We'll talk all things black and gold for the Big Easy Blitz. So those are our guests. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We want to hear from you. But let's start off with the things that you may have missed if you went to bed early last night. We know producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names did not because she was running the board for high school football. Katie and a high wrecking Rams prove to be just too tough, too talented, and too of a lot of things for the Lafayette High Mighty Lions, old school district rival. Acadiana High wins that game easily as they just march on. <laughs> as we expected, of course, you can listen to Record Rams football on our sister station, MeTV FM, 97.7 FM, and 13.30 AM. While that was going on, there was another football game of note, and I'm not talking about West Virginia, Vitek, or Coastal Carolina, Georgia State. Yet some Thursday night college football action going on. Caught that at Dino's last night. Good friend Tim Buckley is taking a job in Memphis. So yours truly, Kevin Foote, and the McDonald's, Dan McDonald and his wife, all came for a little going away dinner with Tim to send him off on his way. Caught a little bit of that action. But that's not what I'm talking about. Thursday night football. Steelers-Browns. The Twitter sphere. Is that a thing? I just made it out. Made it up to one. George Pickens, of course, caused Twitter to go into a frenzy with a sensational Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed diving, falling backwards catch in this ball game. You had Najee Harris flip over a Browns defender like he was suplexing him in the game. So a couple of highlight plays for the Steelers in this, but they proved to be on the wrong end of things. 29-17, to 17, Browns are the victors. They improved to 2-1 on the season. They lead the AFC North, by the way, without Deshaun Watson. They're doing this with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Who was an efficient 21 of 31 for 230 yards and two passing touchdowns last night. They handed the ball off wisely to Nick Chubb a lot. Pittsburgh couldn't stop him. 23 carries for a buck 13 and a touchdown on the ground. And the Browns hold off the Steelers. They score 13 points in the final quarter to do so as Pittsburgh falls to one and two on the season. Once again, Brissett efficient, two touchdown passes. Nick Chubb was able to run the ball. Amari Cooper's getting new life in Cleveland as the primary receiving option. He went over 100 yards receiving, seven catches on 11 targets. Mitchell Trubisky. 20 of 32 for 207, no touchdowns. Woof. You got to have a quarterback that can at least get you 
a touchdown. When your starting quarterback in Pittsburgh performs worse than career journeyman slash backup Jacoby Brissett, Mitchell Trubisky may not be your guy. And there's some Trubisky supporters out there. Our good friend, the great one in Lake Charles, was a Trubisky believer. He's also a diehard Bears fan. You gotta at least be able to outperform the backup journeyman quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. That should just be the, I don't know, the floor, so to speak. You don't need to have the guy be Big Ben. It would be helpful if he could score a touchdown. It would be helpful if the journeyman backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns didn't play better than him. Just a thought. That should be the standard. You are the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh freaking Steelers. I love Mike Tomlin. I do. Love him as a head coach. The league would be far better if there was more of Mike Tomlin. But going with Trubisky, there's not a lot of talent on this Steelers team. There just isn't. They are they've they've kind of pushed off the rebuild because Ben kept saying, I don't want to retire. So they kept saying, well, we got Big Ben, so we're going to, you got our window open, and the window really wasn't open for Pittsburgh. But they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So I get it. They're in a rebuild. But, I mean, if you're struggling and you're below 500, at the end of October, if you're the Steelers, it may be time to turn to the the Rook and let Kenny Pickett, your future quarterback, the guy that you drafted in the first round, go ahead and let him start taking some reps to develop and get ready to be the franchise quarterback. Because old Mitchell, not great. 29-17 was the final score. Once again, Cleveland wins. They improved to 2-1 on the season. Pittsburgh falls to 1-2. AFC North is going to be interesting because I believe Baltimore is going to be good. Cincinnati has all the skill position guys that you could want. If you were building a fantasy football team, you're good. Can they fix their offensive line? They rallied last year to get into the playoffs and went all the way to the Super Bowl. Nearly won the Super Bowl. AFC North is going to be interesting. So, Kediana High wins last night in high school, area high school action. Cleveland takes down Pittsburgh. In NFL action. Get some college football going on as well. But Major League Baseball. Hannah Five Names as Mariners get a much needed win. Needed that. Hard fought win. The problem for her is that it didn't buy her any space. There's no breathing room there. Because the Houston Astros turned around and began their four-game set at the Baltimore Orioles with a big OL. Mariners win 9-5, rather, over the Oakland Athletics. 
bad news for Seattle. Not only did Baltimore win to keep try to keep pace with them for the wild card, their stud rookie, Julio Rodriguez, left the game with back tightness. Not optimal. Now, could this be a thing where you just give him some rest and he'll be good to go? Yeah. Gonna be gonna be lots of prayers in the Emerald City. Mariners win but lose their star to some back tightness. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But the Strohs lose two to nothing to Baltimore. Verlander falls to seventeen and four on the season, even with giving up two, even even with losing the game. His ERA is still like one point eight two. Just ridiculous the type of season he's having. Likely, it doesn't appear to me like Verlander's going to get to the 20-win plateau. It looked like that was going to be a done deal, and then he got injured, and they had to shelve him for a little while. I just don't see it. I don't think Dusty Baker, nor do I think Justin Verlander cares if he gets to 20 wins. They'll let the other guys get some more reps. But he falls. But Kyle Bradish was magnificent for the Orioles last night. He improves to 4-7 and seven on the season, ERA of 4.65. He doesn't look like a guy that would go out there and put together a phenomenal performance, but that's exactly what he did. The Astro hitters had no idea. Now, Jose Altuve was held out for precautionary reasons. He said he could have went, but they went ahead and kept him out. So he got a day of rest. But they managed a whopping two hits. That was it. Two. Two. Jeremy Pena got a hit, and Dubon got a hit. And that was it. Verlander went six innings, scattered six hits, gave up two runs. Both of them only struck out four. They pulled him after 93 pitches. Was a nice moment in this game. Trey Mancini, who played for Baltimore but was a trade deadline acquisition, he got a standing ovation from the from his you know the team from the former fans, the Oriole fans, which was a nice moment, right? Get to see yeah yeah, a little bit of a classiness there. But Bradish was just filthy. Eight and two thirds, two hits. No walks, no earned runs, struck out 10, a 100-pitch night. He was magnificent. And the two runs were scored there in the second inning. Odor singles to right center, plated two runs, and that was it. So it's not like Verlander was a donkey last night. Bradish just had one of those phenomenal nights. And really, when you got a pitcher that's doing that, there's really nothing you can do. You could tell early on that he was just absolutely dealing. So Strohs lose, but they still maintain a comfortable lead for the best record in the American League. Yankees did win, cut into that lead a little bit. Still no home run 61. Aaron Judge did not get there. Still stuck at 60. I'm surprised the Boston Red Sox have decided not to be immensely petty. 
since they are the arch rival, and just walk him every time he comes to bat. <laughs> Say, you're not going to break through. You're not going to tie Roger Maris's record against us. Sorry. We're just going to intentionally walk you every single time you're at bat. I mean, the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. They're five games below 500. Why not? It's against your rival. Why not just be petty for petty's sake? But Yankees improved to 91 and 58 overall. They've won now eight of their last two. They're trying to catch the Houston Astros for home field advantage in the American League. Houston with the loss, unable to get to win 100. They're stuck at 99. They're 99 and 52. As for the wild card standings, with the Rays beating the Blue Jays, which actually helps the Mariners, the Mariners winning, the Orioles winning, the AL wild card. Oh, man, it's close. Toronto is still atop. They hold a game and a half lead, cushion. But Tampa Bay's right behind them. Seattle's right there, and there's still a four game cushion between the Mariners and the Orioles for the final wildcard spot in the American League. The NL wildcard still led by the Braves, who've already clinched a playoff berth. They lost last night, but they still hold a comfortable 10-and-a-half game advantage over the San Diego Padres. And then the Phillies are right behind them. The Brewers are fighting to get in there as a wild card. They're not going to catch St. Louis for the division title, but they're fighting the Phillies to get into the NL wild card. So Major League Baseball, NFL, college, high school. Whew, it was a busy, busy, busy Thursday night. Nothing wrong with that, though. Nothing wrong with a little taste, uh, uh, appetizer, if you will, for the weekend action. We're going to preview that weekend action in particular New Orleans Saints, Panthers. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus is issued as a free bet. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in is required. Parlay and wagering restrictions do apply eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms 
and licensee partners Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem or know someone who does, call 1-877-770-STOP. Let's talk more NFL. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints. They're taking on the Carolina Panthers. Saints are 1-1 one one after that improbable comeback win on the road against Atlanta in week one. And then the stinker of a performance against Tampa Bay this past Sunday at home inside the Caesar Superdome. On the road in Charlotte, Carolina feels like they are a desperate team to me. Matt Rule, it's swirling that he is going to be fired if they don't turn it around. Baker Mayfield has not exactly thrived, if you will, in his role. He hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been a game changer for the Carolina Panthers' offense. McCaffrey's always banged up. But it feels like the Panthers are desperate, and Carolina always geared gets fired up to play the Saints, right? This is a rivalry game. This is a divisional game. Third straight divisional game to start the season for the Saints. And it does feel like a little bit of a must-win situation for them. It just does. It just does. And you wonder who's going to step up. Who's going to step up? Who wants to win more? How healthy are the Saints? Are they going to get Alvin Kamara back for the game? Is Jameis Winston going to be healthy enough to make the throws? Or is he still going to be dealing with pain? He obviously, we also found out this week, he's dealing with some type of ankle issue. Not really for sure what that is. So we got four stress fractures in the back and an ankle issue now. Yay! That's optimal. But the Panthers, they're desperate. This is going to be... I feel it in my bones. This is going to be an ugly game. Nothing suggests from the Saints so far that they can win in pretty fashion. They're just not there yet. They're not gelled. Offensive line's not where it needs to be. Winston's not where he needs to be. Play calling's not where it needs to be. Pass rush isn't where it needs to be. And I keep getting told by everyone, I got confidence the pass rush is going to be there. Dennis Allen says so. People that cover the New Orleans Saints that come on this station say so. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, you know, Marcus Mario is a running quarterback. That's why they couldn't get to him. And, you know, Tom Brady gets the ball out really quick. That's true. But Tom Brady's 45 years old and was behind a patchwork offensive line. And Marcus Mariota is a journeyman quarterback behind a makeshift offensive line. They can get a single sack in those two games. So I'm not ready to panic yet, but for the folks dismissing the lack of a pass rush from the front seven, okay, yeah, I'm not that confident, but that's just me. Interesting matchup, though, for the Saints. And they've been playing, played Sam Darnold last year. But now this year, they're going to have to deal with Baker Mayfield, former Cleveland Browns quarterback, now the starting quarterback in Carolina, and Ryan Nielsen, assistant head coach, co-defensive coordinator for the Saints. You know, talked about the difficulty for them for game planning for a new quarterback in Carolina. Yeah, so so him being at Cleveland before, you know, he kind of 
watch the type of player that he is. You know, not necessarily the plays, but what he does, how he likes to scramble, you know, where he likes to go with the ball. And so, and then, you know, two games in, you know, there's enough on tape to where, you know, we can prepare, we have a plan, you know, for this type. But we know it's not like he's a rookie, you know, so he doesn't have to. We've, we've watched his tape before. So, yeah, you can just pull the tape of him playing for Cleveland. You'll get an idea of what Baker's tendencies are. He can hurt you with his legs, like Mariota. So that's a bit of a concern. But Carolina's offensive line isn't very good either. So you may be pressuring him into making throws he doesn't want to make or making him bail out of going through his reads because there's pressure. But you got to contain him, which they didn't do a very good job against Marcus Mariota in the opener. But no matter what Baker brings to the table, Carolina, their entire offense is based on what Christian McCaffrey can do. A sensational all-purpose running back, one of the best in the league, but he's always banged up. He's always nicked up. He's always dealing with some sort of issue, but their offense runs through them, and Ryan Nielsen fully understands that and fully knows what McCaffrey brings to the table. Yeah, he does a lot as an as a offensive weapon um, from running in the backfield, getting out of the backfield on passes, lining up, up, up catching passes out, you know, like in a receiver position. Um, you know, so we always have to have awareness for where he is on the field. Um, it is a big challenge. Um, but I know our guys will be up for the test. One of those guys that may be up for the test and maybe getting some more playing time this week is the young man they took in the draft this year. The versatile defensive back, Alante Taylor, out of Tennessee. He's gotten some playing time early on, and he could get more playing time this weekend in Charlotte and his defensive coordinator talked about what he is able to do and what he can do. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was really good. He makes a couple of nice plays out there. Um, really big third down stop for us. Uh, that was a heck of a play. Um, he's a good player, you know. And, and he, he, other than a couple of times he got injured in camp, but he's had a good camp when he was out there. And so it's just continuing that. And you know, he's a confident player too. You know, so him being ready to get out there and make some plays that only helps. You know, now going forward, you know, you just want to see just a little bit better. You know, next time out. You want to see a little bit better next time out. He's a talented kid. He's going to be a good player for the Saints. Offensively, work to be done, right? Jameis has got to play better. Offensive line has got to play better. I don't think the offensive line has played to its potential so far. But but the offensive coordinator, just like the head coach, says, hey, that O-line is doing pretty good. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I think our O-line is doing a good job. They were communicating kind of the, the plays that they liked. Um, and I thought that, again, I thought our run game was, was pretty good last week. I thought uh, when you look at the numbers, we just didn't have enough opportunities. But uh, those guys are playing well. We're blocking at the tight end position as well. And the running backs, obviously, are guys that we feel real confident giving the ball to. I, I struggle with finding the words. Look, I'm not an NFL coach, not an NFL assistant coach. As we know, I talk to you every weekday morning from 6 to 9 right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Happy to do so, blessed to do so. 
I understand that you want to be optimistic. But this offensive line, yeah, they ran the ball well, and then you went away from running the football, Pete Carmichael. So I have questions there. Well, if you're running the ball so effectively, why did you stop going to it? It's not as if Tampa was up on you by three touchdowns. It's not like you had to go five wide to try to catch up here. You could have kept running the football. You went away from it. So if the offensive line was doing such a good job with opening up holes, why'd you go away from the run game, dummy? That's one. Two, you break down the film and you say, hey, offensive line does a pretty good job in there protecting. Really? Even if you say half the sacks are on Winston from last week, that means your offensive line still gave up three and a ton more pressures. Maybe I'm different. Maybe I say your quarterback shouldn't be sacked a half a dozen times and shouldn't be hit double-digit times in a ball game. That's just me. I'm crazy that way. Like, 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 were they were they watching the game? Were they actually watching the the game? I'm unsure. Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael have uh, made me reconsider things. Our offensive line is doing good. You lost the game. <laughs> Did you see the score? You couldn't put up points. Like were you turned around facing the crowd the whole game? Like you didn't you didn't watch the game. You didn't. They had good moments. Yes, I, w- I would agree. There was good moments. Mark Ingram had sixty yards on the ground on ten carries, which means that's an average of six yards a pop. That's great. Why'd you go away from the run game? Question one. Two. You didn't barely score any points. And you gave up six sacks and even more pressures. And even if half of those are on Jameis, great. I'll concede that. I'm I'm the type of guy that will say that for every game. Usually half the sacks that happen on a quarterback are half his fault, and the other half belongs to the offensive line. That's fine. That means your offensive line still gave up three sacks. That's, that, that's good? That's good? I thought the standard for good was not having your quarterback be hit and treated like a rag doll, not have your quarterback sacked multiple times. But apparently, this week, the Saints coaching staff is going with the common core math method of how to look at things. Yeah, the, the glass half full is a, is a little bit annoying here. Like, you didn't win. Woof. We got to take a timeout. Unveil the poll question of the day. We'll do that first before we have to take our time out. It's about the Saints. Is Sunday's game a must-win for the Houdats? That's what we want to know. If they fall to one and two, and that's also in their division, can they climb out of that for the remainder of the season with especially how bad the offense has looked for seven of the eight quarters of the season? And Carolina's a desperate team. Can you afford to go one and two to start the season? By the way, the London trip is next against Minnesota. Right now, 82% of you say it is a must win. 18% say no. Hart on Twitter says every game should be viewed as a must win, especially divisional ones. Not to mention that the NFL did them no favors with the brutality of their schedule the next few weeks. It would be great for morale, but I don't want to hit the panic button if they do drop the game. Can you really go one and two to start the season in your own division? I don't know. And two of the teams are supposed to be awful 
in Atlanta and Carolina. Ton says it's way too early in the season and way too early in the DA era for must win. This instant gratification mentality is awful. Too many fans are either too young to remember it chosen to forgot about bagheads and the ain'ts. That's fair. And I don't disagree with Ton's take there. But if you have Super Bowl aspirations, can you start off the season like one and two? I, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like a must win, though. And it feels that way coming out of New Orleans, to be perfectly frank with you. Season's long. Season's long. But, and you can turn things around in a heartbeat. JPK, the OD, says, duh, they're all must wins but especially when it's the Carolina Kitty Cats and the division opponent. And he used a full house gif. I don't know if using duh or the full house gif irks me slightly more. I'm not for sure which one it is. I'm going to accept it and like it. But full house gif? What are we doing, JPK, though, D? John Paul, Cajun Daddy says, in football there are only so many games so every game is a must-win. Divisional games and conference games make them even more that much more important. Think of it like this. One loss in the NFL is to 11 losses in the Major League Baseball and seven losses in the NBA. Darren, though, says, only for the fans. If they win, they are still second in a terrible division that you can win. Win your division, make the playoffs. It's way too early to panic. Salty Steve, who always says, no salt Friday. But we'll see here. I tried to tell everyone before the season that this team had more holes than a 50-pound wheel of Swiss cheese. Man loves Swiss cheese. I mean, I love Swiss cheese, too. 50 pounds of that seems seems excessive. O-line issues, running back issues, quarterback issues, DB issues, and new coach growing pains. Open wide. It's a medicine season, like it or not. Hashtag not salty, just truthful. Look at you, Steve. I don't know. It feels like a must win. I don't know if it is a must win, but it sure does feel that way. And it feels that way because the way they've played, not because they're one in one, but the way they've looked in those first two games has been, as our friend Footsie would say, pas bon. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We got to take a timeout. We'll look ahead to the college football slate this weekend. Got some marquee games that should grab your attention. That'll be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Brett Musburger's action update. The Astros play today on The Game as a $1.42 road favorite at Baltimore plus one. LSU Tigers roar every week here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. This Saturday, LSU takes on New Mexico inside Death Valley. Pre-game begins at 4.30 and kickoff is set for 6.30. Tune in every weekend to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface, and sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, 
a new swimming pool, a new she shed, man cave, garden, swing set. It doesn't really matter. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. And look, there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of those buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. College football. Interesting slate of games this weekend. And obviously we know about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They are opening up Sunbelt Conference play. Up in Fun Row against the Warhawks. LSU's at home for a non-conference slate with the Lobos. New Mexico comes to town. McNeese welcomes in Division II opponent Mississippi College. We'll talk more about the Cowboys and hear from Gary Goff, who spoke to the media yesterday. That'll be later on in today's show. But I want to look at some intriguing matchups this weekend in college football. Maryland, Michigan. Michigan has just been just rolling people to start the season. Wolverines are undefeated, ranked number four in the country. The Terrapins, with their, goodness gracious, just awful uniforms. Of It's like if Oregon made a uniform and it just spit up the Maryland state flag, that's what Maryland's uniforms are. But the Terps are 3 and 2 so this could be the first kind of real test for the Wolverines this year. It's an early game, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Some early morning, mid-morning Big Ten action, which I always enjoy. So I'm, I'm intrigued there. I think Michigan wins the game easily. But I'm interested to see if Maryland gives them any type of fight, if you will. Another early game, and this is a top 25 matchup, Clemson. Keep getting told that Clemson's back. Number five team in the country. The offense doesn't look great. It looks just okay so far. They're taking on a Wake Forest team who's 3-0 as well. Ranked number 21. This is on the road. This will tell us a little bit about Wake. This will tell us a little bit more about Clemson. Are they actually going to be a contender Are they going to be a team that's going to be vying for the college football playoffs? So that's some early action there that I'm keeping an eye on. Sorry, the Rhode Island-Pittsburgh game, I'm not really paying attention to. Then comes the afternoon slate. This could be the best game of the day. And it's in the SEC. Florida-Tennessee. Gators at Volunteers. This is the most buzz we've heard about Tennessee in years. It's going to be electric and rocky top with the checkerboard in the touchdown end zone. Florida comes to town. The best quarterback in the SEC that we're not talking about plays for Tennessee. Hooker is phenomenal. Richardson, meanwhile, is interesting because he looked great 
in the win over Utah and has looked pas bon in the two games since, including a loss and then a win. It's going to take a while for Billy Napier to turn things around there in Gainesville. This is a great, another early season test. Their schedule is kind of brutal. But this is more about Tennessee. Billy's going to have to have time to rebuild that program. Josh Heupel's in his second year. They've taken a huge step. As soon as they turned over the offense to Hooker last year, they started going to another level. They have the offense. I don't know if they have the defense yet, but Tennessee is ranked 11. Ton of buzz. The spotlight is going to be on them. This is a top 25 matchup. This is going to be the CBS afternoon game. The nation will be watching. Can the volunteers handle the spotlight? Can they handle taking down a rival who, by the way, I do believe has beat them 15 out of the last 17 times. This has been one-sided as I'll get out. It's been dominated by Florida, and rightfully so, because they've been the better program. And are we going to see better Richardson? Can Napier fix his quarterback who looked really good in the opener against Utah and has looked awful ever since? That could be the game of the day, and this is an opportunity for Tennessee to make a big statement. This game is far more important for Tennessee than it is for Florida. Even though Billy, it's his first year in Gainesville, I'm telling you, this means more to Tennessee than it does to Florida. You look down, you go further in the day. What about at night? No, I'm not talking about Vanderbilt at Alabama. Woof. Bama's a 40-and-a-half point favorite in that game. Arkansas A&M, 6 o'clock kick. Aggies got out a win against Miami. Miami had a couple of turnovers in that game, kind of gifted them some drives. The Aggies offense is awful. But they're the favorite here, by the way. Arkansas struggled with <clears throat> Missouri State and former head coach Bobby Petrino. But they're 3-0, number 10 ranked team in the country. They beat AM last year. They're ranked number 10, undefeated. They're going on the road to College Station to take on a Texas A&M team that has been woefully underperforming. They're ranked 23 in the country, yet the Aggies are a two-point favorite. That essentially means this is a coin flip game because home team usually gets spotted three points. Arkansas, A&M. This could go a long way to determine who's going to battle Alabama for the West title or at least finish second. Can Arkansas keep what it's going alive? It's going to be tested by A&M, but Texas A&M has an opportunity after getting looking awful in the win against Miami and then losing to App State. They have an opportunity to kind of get on track. But have they played a team as good as Arkansas yet? No. So that's some of the action that I'm looking forward to this weekend the other one to keep an eye on and no not Utah to Arizona State Arizona State's fired Herm Edwards the crazy thing about Utah is that they had a student on campus be arrested for like a terrorist threat because they threatened to blow up a like a nuclear bomb or a reactor or something crazy if they lost last weekend so that person's been arrested not for sure what's going on in Utah but another tricky game to pay attention to and I'll give you one more because I know we're up against it USC, 
They're 3-0. They're ranked in the top 10, number 17, the, the number 7 ranked team in the country under new head coach Lincoln Riley. Oregon State is 3-0. This game is in Corvallis. It's late. Pac-12 after dark type of game. That's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to win. Pay attention to that, USC at Oregon State as well. We got to take a time out. When we return, we'll wrap up hour number one and get you set up for hour number two. That's all next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. We asked you if Sunday's game in Charlotte is a must-win for the Saints. Right now, 83% of you say yes, 17% say no. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. We'll kick it off with James Yasko, the Lima Time Time podcast. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Houston Astros losing to the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles, man, they've been playing well since the All-Star break. Verlander goes out there. It's not as if he pitched like a donkey yesterday, as we like to say. He pitched well. only gave up two runs. That came on one hit. But when the opposing pitcher has a legendary performance of pitching, what, eight and a third and only giving up two hits, striking out, what, 10? Yeah. You're not going to win many of those ball games. That said, Astros still have the best record in the American League. They sit at 99 wins. They still have a comfortable cushion on the New York Yankees for home field advantage through the AL playoffs. And they'll get another crack at Baltimore yet again tonight as this is a big four-game weekend series. To break down the latest with the Houston Astros as a man who writes about them for the Houston Chronicle. He also talks about them on the Lima Time Time podcast. He joins us every Friday. It's our friend, Mr. James Yasko, joins us here on RP3 and Company. James, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm not too bad. I know I know. we've kind of got to squeeze this in because you, you've got to cut to the, the live broadcast of the U.S. men's national team friendly against Japan here in about 20 minutes. So uh, that, that soccer uh, World Cup quality, uh, World Cup tune-up game is you know super important how are you i can't wait for the americans not even to make it to the quarterfinals yay um (laughs) (laughs) just i'm just saying i'm just saying yeah yeah we could have a discussion all day long about that all right so let's start off with altuve they kept him out of yesterday's game he said it's not a big deal is it a big deal 
It was, apparently it was a it was a scheduled day off. Okay. Uh, and so you know it's it's not a if now if it, it's not a big deal. And if he's in the lineup tonight and does his customary two for four, uh, then then obviously it's not a big deal. Um, if he if he gets up there and and can't swing the bat and sort of just looks like crap, then then you know it's obviously going to be a little bit bigger of a deal. But uh, the official word was scheduled day off. Uh, give him a, another twenty four hours to to heal up a little bit. So he should be good to go, and that's fine. So you got him. He's playing at a high level. Bregman's playing at a high level. Even Yuli Gurriel's been able to find it. We had a, a game the other day where Martin Maldonado went three for four. Martin yeah. went three for four. Pena's been playing better as well. When you look at this lineup, as we head towards the tail end of September and gearing up for the postseason, who is the weakest link, so to speak? Is there a soft spot in the lineup for when it comes to the playoffs where teams are going to try to exploit? I mean, I think you know, every, every team is going to be kind of, I, I don't want to say soft, but, but you know, th- th- there's a reason you're hitting eighth. Uh, and so, you know, whether, but, but, you know, every team has to have an eight hole hitter and, and there's not a team out there where, where it's a, it's an Aaron judge that's hitting, that's hitting eight. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you look towards the bottom of the lineup and, and, you know, it's, it's cause for concern, but, but I don't know that, that, that there's a team out there that, that doesn't, that isn't in the same boat. So, you know, the, the lineup top to bottom is 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 really good is it is it the best in the in the in the majors it it can be um but but you know i mean at this point we're just all you know astros fans are all just kind of hoping like don't don't have don't wait until october to have your have the week where you can't hit (laughs) you know for some astro fans they're like it's good that bregman had his slump for you know three months it's out of the way or the the fact that Jeremy Pena had a bit of his rookie slump, and that's kind of out of the way, right? So you don't have to worry about that. And I do know that Astro fans do have a little of, uh, I don't know, uh, some trepidation because... PTSD. Call it, call, it, yeah, call it what it is. It's PTSD. They, they've lost two World Series where all of a sudden their bats went silent, right? So against teams they probably should have defeated. And so yeah, I, no, I get it. I get it. I, 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 I will never, I will never understand how the how the 2019 Astros did not didn't win one home game in the World Series. Like that's 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 just that's just all. I'm I'm terrified of the NL East. It's it's a it's a haunted division. Uh, <laughs> they've got ghosts in their blood, and and I I hate them. <laughs> got ghosts in their blood. I like that. I like that. Yeah, you, you don't want to you don't want to face the Braves or or the Mets this year or the Phillies. You're, you're hoping no, to avoid I, I'd all of them. I'd be scared of the Nationals. If somehow the Nationals, you know, I know they're like twenty and one hundred and twenty five, but no, I'm I'm terrified of the Nationals. <laughs> terrified, he says. Verlander uh, did not pitch terribly, right? He didn't. He wasn't dominant yesterday, uh, but he didn't pitch terribly. He gets the loss because they just go up against a guy that has just a career night on the bump, and that happens. I do wonder if 20 wins is still a possibility. It doesn't feel that way to me. And I don't think it's really a concern or even a goal for Verlander or Dusty Baker. Is that correct? I, I would I would think so. Uh, you know, it, it's not like it would be Verlander's first 20 win season. I think if he was going to get 20, then he needed to win last night. Uh, and and so, I, you know, maybe maybe two more starts before the 
before the postseason. Yeah. Um, and so now, yeah, no, 17, and it looks like, you know, the best is, is 19 wins. However, uh, when, when you pitch once in September and you're already sitting on 17 wins, that's, that's a heck of a season. Oh, it's a heck of a season. You still believe he's the Cy Young or no? I, I think so. The, just because of, of the story that's around the season, um, the, you know, the hasn't, made one start since 2019 uh coming back from tommy john uh 61 years old married to a supermodel like that's just a that's just that that's sort of a a fairy tale season um but you know i yeah i I think it's within reach but i don't know they'll probably find a way to give it to shohei otani well you have framer valdez as well he's gonna siphon off some votes right Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm curious when it comes to the baseball writers, you know, how much, how much resentment towards the organization is there? Uh, you know, Ooh, who's, there who's you still, who is still mad about, about the athletic article and the trash cans and whatnot, you know, is that going to, is that going to impact anything? I don't know that anyone last year uh, would have been in the Cy Young slash MVP discussion, Um you know, so I don't know that last year was a good gauge of, of how voting is going to go. But, you know, the, the Baseball Writers Association of America, um, they're not exactly on the up and up. <laughs> we know Judge is going to run away with the MVP. We do, we, we do understand that. But I do wonder with, you know, the people pounding the table for Otani and that award, are they going to shift their focus and give them the Cy Young? Yeah, no, that's that's that is an extremely that's an extremely likely scenario when, you know, because with Otani, you know, you can say like Verlander has a sub two ERA, 17 wins. You know, it's going to be it's probably going to be 18, 18 or 19 wins. Uh, and then and then you're going to have somebody it's like, OK, but how many home runs did he hit? And 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 it's just <laughs> and then do the same thing with Judge. Like, oh, you had 60 home runs. What's your ERA? And like, it's just. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, there's going to be shenanigans. I'm, I'm just curious as to how it's all going to shake out. And my rebuttal would be, uh, are the angels even above 500? No, thank you. <laughs> hey, no, sorry. no, they're ne- they never sorry. will be. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, sorry, but not sorry. We're talking with James Yasko of the Lima time time podcast and Houston Chronicle contributor. He joins us here on RP three and company. I, I want to talk about the records that are being chased down here. And it feels weird. And and what I mean by that is, so we have Judge trying to overtake Roger Maris for the most home runs in a single season in American League history. It just so happens that the previous two record holders for that are both Yankees as well. And Judge is very much, it feels like, the biggest star in baseball, right? And he, he kind of checks all the boxes and he plays for the Yankees, and he plays well for the Yankees. He's Aaron do- Judge. Aaron Aaron Judge is is the is the human equivalent of an unseasoned chicken breast. <laughs> yes, he's very. He, <laughs> wasn't prepared for that. So he's chasing down that record. But I, I hear more and more about well, this is the real home run record, and I hadn't hear, heard that for years. But all of a sudden now, I'm hearing, well, this is the real record because we're not going to count what Maguire and Sosa and Bonds did, and this will be the, the 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 benchmark for that. And then we got Pujols, who's trying to get to 700. 
He goes back to St. Louis. All of a sudden, his career is resurrected uh, inexplicably. He can all of a sudden hit again. And both are great stories, yet it just feels weird like there's not a ton of buzz about them outside of, say, New York for Judge and outside of St. Louis for Pujols. Well, that's because Major League Baseball is terrible at, at marketing themselves. Like, they actively try the, – it's, it's, the, that is an organization of self-sabotage that uh, they 100% refuse to lean into any sort of narrative. Um, and as far as, ooh, as far, I'm shaking with rage. As far as the as Yankees fans moving the goal goalposts about about steroids, which let's let's pause for a moment and acknowledge the irony of Yankees fans trying to uh, you know minimize the steroid era as as though the Yankees didn't win you know every single World Series from '97 to 2000. <laughs> whatever um <laughs> when you can when you can show me a formula where 61 home runs or 62 home runs is more than 73 uh and 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 you can you can put that on a piece of paper and prove to me how that is the case it is not the home run record uh and and anyone who says that the judge that judge's performance uh is is better than bonds in in, in 2001 um needs to get pushed off the top of a very tall building. It has changed, though. Look, I'm not the biggest Bud Selig fan. You know I've talked about this on and off the air. But he did understand seizing the moment with the McGuire and Sosa home run chase, which brought a lot of baseball fans back to the game following the strike. And it it captivated America. It captivated the sports public. And even when Barry Bonds, who is a highly unlikable player, and people hated him, it was always a countdown that season. It was in, I remember having to do the agate page in the newspaper business. What's Barry doing? Got to check in on Barry. It's a Barry Bonds watch. And it was reported on constantly. And I know 20 years has essentially passed here, James, but it's just weird being a baseball guy and going, hey, Albert Pujols is trying to get to 700. Aaron Judge is trying to set a new American League record for home runs, and he may be even the Triple Crown winner, and it just feels, eh. Yeah, and I, I, one thing that it, it may be is that, and I, and, and I mean, I think what would be the most stress-inducing possible outcome in October is what if, what if it's the Astros and the Cardinals? And, 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 and Pujols is in the lineup and he's going to go off and hit like nine home runs in, in the world series and, <laughs> and the Astros lose to the Cardinals. Uh, that would, that would be, that, I mean, that's, that's just like a, I, I can't, I, baseball has harmed me too much at that point. Like baseball has a voodoo doll of, of, of the Astros fan base. And they're just like poking needles into it. I don't know what, I, I, I think there's just baseball, yeah, and, and one the thing that baseball fans hate the most is 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 hearing that baseball is is just not on the national radar. Uh, but I think it's true. There's just there's there's just too much going on, uh, sports and not sports related that that is just vying for people's attention. And and it's not that baseball isn't popular. Baseball is obviously popular, but it just doesn't captivate. You know, I mean, if you ask somebody. You know what? What do you want on the next segment of Sports Center? Is it do you want you want baseball highlights or do you want to talk about Tom Brady? Uh, it, it, Tom Brady's going to win, and and I think that it's it's just like the the conversation about baseball has kind of shifted in the national consciousness. 
as someone who used to work at the Baseball Hall of Fame, I appreciate your insight on these topics, my friend. All right, let's get back to your Strohs. Teams are battling it out for the wild card. Mariners are in the mix. Tampa, after the sweep against the Astros, are trying to go toe-to-toe with the Blue Jays. They're battling for the wild card there. Orioles are fighting for a position as well. Once the dust settles this weekend, you think there's going to be a lot of change when the wild card standings, or do you think it's going to be pretty much the same as it is right now? I think it would be hilarious if the Astros managed to lose all four games uh, against Baltimore, uh, managed to maintain the number one overall seed, and and Baltimore overtakes Seattle, and Seattle misses the playoffs once again. That would that would just oh be wow wow hilarious because that's that's in play like the they both the Orioles and Mar- and Mariners both won last night. The Orioles are four games back with like fourteen to play, thirteen to play, something like that. Like it's not it's not an outrageous. Uh, scenario, and it would be good for the Orioles fan base, but also, you know, Hannah aside, you know, Mariners fans. <laughs> yeah, you just totally realized. Like, you just realized, totally, didn't you? Yeah, she was threatening to totally just unlikely. turn your mic off. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I know she's a lifelong Mariners fan. Oh! <laughs> has sweated through Jay Buhner and Brett Boone, and and when, when Sweet Lou Pinello was managing, like, I, she, I know she knows all of that. Yeah, she's uh, she's knowledgeable of all those Mariner greats. Jamie Moyer. Uh, I'm going to spend oh. the rest of the segment just naming random <laughs> Mariners players. Um, so yeah, no, I I I don't know. I I think that's that's a fun part. You know, the say what you want about about expanding the playoffs, but these kind of races towards the end of the season where there's something to play for, and you might not be a great team, but you've got a shot at at least you know playing playing you know playoff baseball that's that's fun uh so you know I don't, I don't want them to expand it anymore you know i don't want it to be where half the league you know or, or 10 teams in the league make the playoffs but but this yeah no this is this is a fun thing to kind of keep an eye on but i hope you have a tremendous weekend i hope you enjoy whatever got heated up in your microwave earlier during the segment and uh, we'll talk to you next week brother that, that was my my wife feeding the the 17,000 stray cats. She started feeding one cat and now they have like a, and cats have like a hobo code where they like mark mailboxes. And now I don't even own a cat, but I got to buy cat food like twice a week. I don't. And so it's like, a, do I walk out the door and it's like a freaking Disney musical where I'm just being serenaded by, by a sea of cats. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend, brother. <laughs> Dave Buner. I said him. All right. All right. That's, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. We're having fun there. Always like to get James's perspective because he did actually work for the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown for years. Worked there in their museum. So he has a, 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 a interesting perspective there about baseball and about baseball history. And uh, he also uh, he also made Hannah a little slightly upset there. So I'm, that's funny too as well. We have to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. Calm down, five names. Just simmer down. You're you're way too animated over there this morning. Just bring it down a level. Come on. We'll give you an update on the poll question of the day. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays. 
and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Look, if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 years of age to play. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus is issued as a free bet. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in is required. Parlay and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms are found at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner is the golden nugget in Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Is Sunday's game a must win for the Saints? 78% of you say yes. Only 22% say no. Keep voting. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But up next, after this timeout, the LSU All-American, first-round NFL draft pick, and soon-to-be Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Wendell Davis, joins us next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Very few high school stars end up making it even in college. Some of them will get a scholarship, and some of them will play and even be lettermen, but very few of them become All-Americans, much, like, much less two-time All-Americans. And then even fewer make it to the NFL and play in the National Football League for years. But our next guest here in RP3 and Company did exactly that. He was a star player at Fair Park High School up in Shreveport. He would go on to play for the LSU Tigers where he would earn All-American honors not once but twice and was named the SEC Player of the Year. He would be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft by the Chicago Bears in 1988. And he would go on to haul in more than 200 receptions for 3,000 yards before a devastating injury sidelined his career. Next summer in Natchitoches, he will be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company, Wendell Davis. Wendell, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, I appreciate you making the time. Uh, we'll get to being inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, what that means for you. But I want to go back to your high school days there at Fair Park. What were your dreams? What were your aspirations? Where did you want to go? Did you always want to go to LSU? And, and how did that process all come to be where you ended up in BR? <laughs> well, my dreams in high school was pretty basic. <laughs> um, our high school team was not the greatest team Uh <laughs> Uh, in the past, we had had losing seasons uh, ever since I had been there until my senior year. So my goal was just to win games. You know, we wanted to have a winning season. And fortunately, uh, we had a team that, that uh, we had been playing together for a while, and finally things jailed for us my senior year. And we put together a pretty decent season. Uh, we uh, won our, uh, our conference. We even... Uh, went to the playoffs, and so that's when it, uh, you know, it all started, um, and from there it just took off. You know, I never uh, had dreams of playing for LSU, uh, 
I just wanted to play football. But uh, as it turned out, LSU came calling at the last minute, and I had the opportunity to play for them. Was that the biggest offer you had, Wendell, was at LSU coming in late like that? Was that the biggest, like, big-time offer, big-time college football offer? Yes, it was. Uh, I had a lot of offers from from Grambling and uh, uh, Northeast, uh, Louisiana, uh, Northwestern, Nickel State. I remember all the smaller schools in, in in the state, and LSU came calling at the last minute. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't pass it up. So when you arrived on campus there in, in the 80s, uh, mid-80s uh, almost, uh, what was what was it like going from Fair Park and having the struggles that you had until your senior year and then arriving at LSU and, you know, everything that goes along with being an LSU Tiger? It was a shocker. You know, I had so many different, uh, I guess, emotions going on at the time when I first arrived on campus. I do remember the day my, my parents brought me down and uh, just getting on the campus and seeing how big the campus was, was, uh, you know, really uh, a challenge. Uh, it didn't scare me, but it was a challenge. And uh, But what really <laughs> scared me was when I started seeing uh, my teammates uh, guys that I'd be playing with, the class that I was coming in with, and to see how big these guys were <laughs> just really knocked my socks off, man. And uh, I, I remember distinctly seeing seeing uh, Eric Andelsek and Ralph Norwood and uh, uh, those guys, Nacho Alvagamo. I remember seeing those guys, and I just thought to myself, Oh my God! These are the biggest guys I've ever seen uh, on, you know, playing football. And but once I got there and got settled in, uh, I knew I could uh, I could play with those guys. But it took you a little while, right, Wendell? I mean, your freshman season, if I remember right, you didn't even catch a pass. So how did you make that adjustment? And did you get down about it? Did you get down about not, you know, making a, a huge impact in the in the passing game as a freshman? No, you know, um, I, I always take things one step at a time. Uh, I had a goal uh, once I once I got there. I, I knew I wasn't I wasn't heavily recruited. Um, you know, they had other uh, receivers at the time that uh, you know they they thought would uh, be ahead of me. So uh, I thought uh, you know with with that in mind, I, I knew I had a goal of just I just wanted to make the travel team. Is, uh, was, was my goal, and uh, as a freshman, uh, I did. I, I made that goal. I, I made the travel team, and uh, fortunately, I I stuck around and, and had the opportunity to uh, step up um, after my sophomore year. You know, but, uh, back then, Glenn Hope uh, was a, a very talented player. Uh, there was they had big hopes for Glenn. Uh, he could have been a great great receiver at LSU. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, some things happened, and uh, which uh, he was not able to play, and uh, and I played by him behind him, and uh, so it just gave me the opportunity to step up. And after that, I, I, I just didn't look back. How did you develop such a great chemistry with Tommy Hodson? Because it looked like 
you guys had played your entire life together for those two seasons in 86 and 87. I mean, it seemed like y'all were brothers from another mother, man. So how did you develop that chemistry? Yeah, yeah, that was great, man. I, I really enjoyed playing with Tommy. Um, but it, it started for us in the in the offseason. I, I remember Tommy, uh, as a freshman, I know he came in, he had high hopes for Tommy, and like, he, he got injured, and he had to get uh, shirt. Uh, but after that, after he, 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 he was better after he healed, you know, and um, recovered, uh, we, we just started working together all offseason, you know, in the offseason program. Tommy and I, we hit the field after we work out, and we stay out there running routes, and he throwing the ball and catching the ball, and, you know, we're running up and down the field. And that, that chemistry, we were just hoping that it would translate over into, into the game. Uh, and, and sure enough, it did. It went from the from our little workouts to practice, from practice to the game, and uh, you know we we just developed that bond after that. Twenty, you had more than twelve hundred yards, eleven touchdowns, and eighty catches that that one year, and you helped LSU to a nine and three record in their first SEC championship since nineteen seventy. What stands out to you the most about that that great season? Well, most, I guess I would say the production that we had on offense, I, I think it not only like – we, we kind of knew what we could do and what we were capable of, but I think it surprised a lot of people, uh, uh, production that we had, especially uh, with that offense we had. We had – in, in my mind, I thought we had one of the balanced, well-balanced offenses in the, in the country, uh, and we had the talent to, to uh, support it. I mean, we had our receivers, me, my, myself, and Roger McGee, Tony Moss. I mean, those guys, we, we had running backs, Sammy Martin, Harvey Williams, Eddie Fuller. I mean, quarterbacks. We had our, uh, Mickey Gidry, you know, of course, Tommy Hodgson. I mean, we had it all. And we had an offense. We had the coaches, uh, offense coordinator, Ed Zombrecker. Uh, his offense was just perfect for us. We had the talent for that offense. And that, that production was great. Um, and, you know, just that whole year, our whole team uh, really came together and uh, made it a special year. And, uh, I think that's how we, we were able to win the, uh, the uh, championship that year. The next year, you're getting double teamed as a senior because everyone's got the tape out on you and they know that you're going to be the big play guy in the offense. And yet, you somehow still caught 72 balls for nearly 1,000 <laughs> yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, talk a little bit about your mindset, knowing that you were going to be double team, and yet you still found a way to be an offensive playmaker and an All-American in that offense. Well, we, I had to work hard. I had to work hard. We had to uh, kind of find a way for to get me open. Uh, but, you know, I always used to, to think, though, you know, I said, well, you know, if if I'm going to get double, that means somebody, somebody's going to get an opportunity. And uh, and sure enough, uh, everybody started getting opportunities. Uh, Tommy started spreading the ball around more. I just think it, it made our team uh, that much better. Uh, I must say, <clears throat> a lot of that making All American could have could have came from the year the previous year. Uh, but uh, I, I thought that was the, one of the best years uh, there at LSU because uh, we I think we went. I think we went. Almost, we almost went undefeated 
Uh, I think we lost one game uh, my last year. Uh, and uh, so I, I thought we had a great shot at, at, at playing for the national championship. But that was probably the best year for, for me because we really had a, a very, very good year playing against some good teams. And we really showed that uh, we really put LSU on the map that year. We got to take a brief timeout, but more with the LSU All-American and soon-to-be Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer Wendell Davis coming up here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're talking with Wendell Davis. He was a two-time LSU All-American, SEC Player of the Year, first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears, and he'll be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer in Natchitoches. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I heard it in your voice. You tried to downplay the fact that you were an All-American again as a senior. You felt maybe it was more about your reputation from the year before. But I'm fairly for certain, Wendell, that South Carolina would argue that you were, in fact, an All-American as you, you know, caught nine balls for 132 yards and scored three touchdowns in the Gator Bowl romp over the Gamecocks. (laughs) Yeah, that's... A lot of people remind me of that game. That was a great game. You know, I, I remember the I remember the Gator Bowl because as a senior, uh, at that point, we went to three we went to three bowl games, right? Three bowl games, and we lost every one of them. And as a senior, that was frustrating. It was frustrating to all the seniors. And we 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 made it. We put it upon ourselves that that you know we're not going out like that. Not our senior year. We're gonna. We were going to win this bowl game our last year, and we were going to go out on a winning note. And so that game, you know, we prepared well. Uh, I, I think the defense, South Carolina was a good defense, the Black Death, I think they called it. And, uh, you know, they would uh, they would blitz. They would blitz, and we worked all week on, on how to handle the blitz again. It goes back to our our, our, whole, our line, uh, Tommy doing a great job of picking up the hots. Uh, everybody running their right the right routes and making the right reads. And every time they did it, we just we just countered it. And somebody caught the ball, somebody scored a touchdown. And uh, I, I think they didn't think. Uh, <laughs> I think at, at some point they thought we would break, but we didn't. We just kept pouring it on. And so. Uh, yeah, I had an opportunity at, uh, in that game to really uh, show what I could do. What is it like to not only play under the lights of Tiger Stadium in front of all those screaming fans, but to play well and to make a touchdown and to make a big play in a huge game? What is that feeling like? Can you describe it for us? It's hard, it's hard to describe, you know, but, but I do know what goes into it. And so when, when I think about what all goes into uh, not just scoring a touchdown, but just to move the ball off the line of scrimmage, you know, that it takes all 11 guys and it, it didn't start that, that, that day to day of the game. It started in training camp. You get to thinking about all of those things uh, when, when, when you're playing well and when you're scoring a touchdown and when you have success on the field. All those things come to mind, and that's why you see guys who, who they get so excited about having success because it just takes so much to move that ball an inch 
everybody has to be on the same page. Everybody has to be pulling in the right direction, the same direction. Everybody has to know their job and do their job well at the same time. So in order for me to, to score a touchdown, in order for me to, to make a catch, in order for, for the running back to, to, to run the ball, I mean, so much has to happen on just one play. And you do that over and over again. So, you know, that's it's, so it's hard to, to explain or hard to put in the words uh, how you feel about it, but that whole process just makes, I mean, just 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 brings out, you know, the best in you. Just, just you know, you, you think about all of that stuff and you, you can't help but uh, get emotional. We're talking once again with Wendell Davis, the two-time LSU All-American, first-round draft pick, and a man that will be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Wendell, after you put together a prolific record-breaking career at LSU, you hear your name called during the NFL draft, 27th overall pick selected by the Chicago Bears. What was that moment like for you? Oh, it was, it was a dream come true uh, for me, for my family. Um, I mean, it was, it's hard to put into words what, what that felt like. Um, just all the the hard work uh, that I put in, all of the uh, dedication, all of the support and that I've had over the year, over my career, from my family and friends, and to to make it to uh, the top uh, of your game, be able to continue to to play, uh, it just meant so much for me and my family. Uh, but I, I just distinctly remember. Uh, after they called my name and I, I talked to Coach Dicka, I just remember I remember me and my mother going to the back room and we had us a good cry. And, uh, you know, we were very emotional. We knew that this was going to be something that would change our lives. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just a great feeling. What was it like playing for one of the original franchises of the National Football League, uh, a franchise with so much pride in history? Um, that, it was great. You know, and the one thing that makes it so great, you you, you kind of, you know, as a kid and uh, uh, as, as I played college ball, you, you, you saw, you know, Chicago Bears and what they stand for, and you, you hear about the, the – all of the players uh, that came before me, you know, uh, Dick Butkus and uh, Gail Sayers and Walter Payton and, um, you know, uh, George Hallis. Um, so to go there was was amazing. Uh, and and playing, with, playing with the guys that played on the Super Bowl team was amazing as well because when I got there, you still had uh, the nucleus, the nucleus of the Super Bowl team still around. So, I got to play with uh, Mike Singletary, and I got to play with Richard Dent and uh, guys like that, uh, Jim McMahon, and uh, so that made it special. But uh, always around tradition, though. When I was playing with the Bears, tradition was always there. Um, so that, that that made it special as well. Wendell, it's almost been 30 years since you had one of the most kind of just devastating injuries in NFL history. It's on a, a simple pass 
from your quarterback. Your cleats get stuck in the AstroTurf there at Veterans Stadium, one of the worst places to play a game. And the, the force of being pulled back to the ground was so severe that it severed your patella tendon in each of your knees. You had to be in a wheelchair. You missed the entire next season. Did you think in that moment, as traumatic as it was, did you think, I'm done? Like, I, did you think I'm done as a football player? And did you think maybe that you weren't going to be able to recover and walk normally again? Um, in, in that, in that uh, very moment, to be honest with you, I, I thought about my family. I did. At the time, I was married. I had two kids. Uh, I thought about my family. And, uh, about, you know, how are you going to take care of your family? That's the first thing that came to my mind. But uh, after after a while, after knowing that uh, my family was still there, my family was supporting me, that made it just so much easier to 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 move on, uh, to continue on, and to 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 see if I could come back and play. Because I I, I never I, it didn't enter my mind at the time that I wouldn't be able to play again. Uh, but uh, as, as as time would with the show, uh, I, I did have the opportunity to to rehab for a year and had the opportunity to come back and and, and play. Uh, well, come back and make the team of the Indianapolis Colts. So I, I went there, made the team there for a year. Uh, almost had an opportunity to play, but never did. And next thing you know, it, it was springtime and getting ready to go to camp again and at camp and you know the the body just just couldn't take it anymore you know i i could feel it uh, i couldn't turn it over like i used to so it, it was time to move on and uh i was able to move on from <clears throat> from that standpoint and, and start pursuing other things in my life but what it really helped me get through it was having the support of my family uh around me and uh being able to to uh, fall back on them and fall back on my faith. Uh, and uh, that's what really, really brought me uh, through. Wendell, appreciate you taking the time out today to talk to us, brother. Congratulations on a tremendous career, and congratulations on being inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer. Can't wait to meet you in person. And, yeah, we can tell more stories then, brother. Thank you so much, and I hope yeah. you uh, have a tremendous weekend. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. That's Wendell Davis, two-time All-American at LSU, SEC Player of the Year, first-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears, and a man who's going to be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame in Natchitoches next summer, joining us here on RP3 and Company. That's going to do it for hour number two. We'll come back. Hour number three, final hour of the day and final hour of the week. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
final hour of today's show final hour of the week has arrived great interview there with wendell davis the former lsu all-american first round nfl draft pick and soon to be louisiana sports hall of famer but we got good stuff still lined up for you in this final hour fletcher mackle from wdsu in new orleans will be joining us for the big easy blitz talking saints panthers helping preview that game we'll be talking all things fantasy football with former rp3 and company league champion zach miller i will ask him bluntly um how do i pick myself up after scoring 142 points and losing in my fantasy league matchup (laughs) oh and two the big bald and beautiful one is to start off the rp3 and company league Houston Astros last night lose, but they still maintain a comfortable lead for home field advantage over the New York Yankees. They sit at 99 wins as they take on the Baltimore Orioles this weekend. Verlander gets tagged with the loss. Wasn't dominant, but wasn't terrible. And I don't think he's going to get to 20 wins. I don't think he's made it a priority to get to 20 wins. I don't think Dusty Baker cares if Verlander gets to 20 wins. He wants to make sure Verlander's right and ready to go for the postseason. Altuve had a day off yesterday, too. But the Strohs will be taking on the Orioles. And this weekend series does have implications for the wildcard standings. Seattle, Baltimore, Toronto, Tampa. They're all battling to get in for one of those three spots in the American League as a wildcard team. We only have a little bit more than a dozen games left. That's it for the regular season. Regular season will wrap up October 5th for the Strohs. They play an afternoon baseball game against the Philadelphia Phillies. I will be there, as will Kevin Foote. That's right. We're going to Houston. Road trip to see the Strohs. We also talked about Thursday night football earlier on today's show. Browns led by Jacoby Brissett versus the Mitchell Trubisky-led Steelers. Steelers, Pickens had a tremendous one-handed catch. Najee Harris, the running back, flipped over a Browns defender like it was an old-school WWF wrestling match. And they still lost. Pittsburgh, I don't see a ton of talent on that roster. I just don't. I see guys that are pretty good but not great. And that's kind of how you feel about their quarterback. If you're Trubisky, you got to outperform the journeyman backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. You just have to. Jacoby Brissett's not going to win you many games, but he's not going to lose you anything. That's what he kind of brings to the table. But Steelers find themselves one and two. Browns, meanwhile, atop the division, 2-1. and one, Even without Deshaun Watson. And what happened to Amari Cooper? All of a sudden, now he figures out how to catch the football and get 100 yards a game? Dallas Cowboy fans got to be like, what? What is this? Who's this guy? Why weren't you that for us? <laughs> Just saying. Kitty in a high one last night. Rolled Lafayette high. Reckon Rams, Mighty Lions facing off. We have a slew of high school football games tonight. STM here on the game. 1037 Lafayette. Barb on 1041 Lake Charles for the game. 
Also have the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. The St. Landry Parish Game of the Week with some guy named Raymond and Chad Jones. We'll be in Northwest High School. Shout out to the Raiders. Eunice Bobcats, Northwest Raiders. What? We coming. St. Landry Parish Game of the Week on News Talk 98.5 FM. Southside. Shout out to Southside. They're coming off a big win. Beating Karen Crow handily. They're going to be on Mustang 107.1 tonight. And, of course, those Karen Crow Bears, the Golden Bears, Ben Love, Blaine Viator on the call, they'll be on Z1059. So, got a ton to get to, right? Ton of stuff going on. Not to mention, we have our poll question of the day, which is about those hoodats. Is Sunday's game a must-win for the Saints? Right now, 78% of you say yes, 22% say no. Don says two and one in the NFC East isn't as much better as one and two as you would think. The division is still winnable. That said, yes, it would be wonderful to win, but let's hold off on must win for a few weeks. JPK, the OD, has chimed back in. Sorry, I thought we were still trying to educate Hannah Five Names on pop culture prior to her arrival upon this earth. Hope this is better. That being said, two and one and one and two are worlds apart. Imagine the conversations we would be having this past week if LSU were one and two. Some fair points here. Some fair points. Darren, as we said earlier, said only for the fans. If they win, they're still second in a terrible division that they can easily win. Win your division, make the playoffs. It's too early to panic. But Brad chimed in and says, must win, baby. Team needs a morale boost after last week. Cannot allow a bunch of cheap shot dirt bags like the Tampa Babies to beat us two weeks in a row. Who freaking that? There's two different ways of thought here, right? Some of you are thinking, no, it's a must win, especially how they've played. And to that point that Brad makes, you don't want it to carry over from last week, right? You want to be able to flush that game, get back on track, win, and the terrible officiating, the awful play calling, and just uh, just a terrible performance by the offense. You need a win. Maybe it's not a must-win, but you kind of need a win here. Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, I don't want to hear it's early or it's 17 games. We're still in preseason mode. This is a must-win in our third straight division game. Then we have to head to London next week. Thanks, NFL. Doug with the efficient comment, if they want to stay ahead of 500, then yeah. There is something about... The fact that it's three straight division games. I think that makes it a little bit more important. And, you know, to Darren's point, it's a winnable division. I think the division's down. I, I, I don't disagree there with that point. I just think starting off the season with three straight divisional games, that makes them feel a little bit more important than maybe they are. And plus, you, you know, Look, that Tampa team is not that much better than the Saints. They're just not. And you let them off the hook. Bad officiating played a role in that, absolutely. But it'd be good to go out there and you know get a win, get to two and one. And in NFL standards, that's worlds apart, right? It just is. And look, I get it. It's a long season. 
I don't know if it's a must-win game, but it kind of feels like it's a must-win game, if that makes any sense. Just kind of feels that way. Here in a few minutes, we'll be making our picks for the weekend. That will include the Saints at the Carolina Panthers game. Five names and I will be making our picks. But before we do that, let's talk about another football team that's going to be taking the field this weekend. And maybe it's not a must win, but definitely needs a win. The McNeese Cowboys. Humbled at home in their first game under the lights since 2000. Their first 7 o'clock kick since 2014. Their first night game since before the Hurricanes. Alcorn State comes in there, takes advantage of some miscues. Sacks, knocks Kadem 10 times, and they come out with the win. First loss to a, a team from the SWAC in the previous 15 tries. They were 15-0 heading into that game. They had always they had never lost to Alcorn State. Both of those are gone. First 0-3 start since 1975. Once again, Gerald Ford was president. Mississippi College comes to town to Cowboy Stadium this week. That's a Division II school, formerly Division III. They used to play in the same conference with Louisiana College, the American Southwest Conference. But this is a team that runs old-school offense. Old-school offense. And because they're going to be running the triple option. This is a game that's going to start at 7 and probably will be done by 930. Because <laughs> it's going to be just eating the clock, up and down the field type of offense. So it presents its own challenges. That said, Gary Goff has long told us it's not about the opponent, right? It's about them. It's about what they bring to the table. It's about McNeese football and not really about the opponent. And that is part of his method or his approach when it comes to making sure that his players, once again, more than 50 new players he's brought in. More than half of the roster are new players. A lot of them are young. A lot of them are inexperienced. How are they dealing with starting off the season 0-3? Young kids can easily get discouraged, can't they? This is what golf had to say about what he's doing to make sure his players don't get that way. Well, I, I think it's what I said. You know, on Monday we came in and we talked to the team about, hey, we got to get better. We know that. We're, we're not going to be any different coaches than what we've been from day one. And that's coaching with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of care. we got to continue to develop, you know. And, um, you know, men, what, what choice do we have right now uh, other than having a great attitude? Let's go out there and have fun and continue looking forward and not worry about what's already been done. Because if you do that, it's not going to make anybody any better. Um, it's not going to rectify anything. So um, I, I think it sets with us. It sets with me. Um, I, I got to stay positive and have fun at practice. Um, I'm not going to act any different than when I, what I have from day one when I started, you know, practicing with them in spring. And I'm not going to let my coaches do that either. So, um, you know, you think you think about it. This team has been through a lot, and I hate dwelling on the past, but I'm I'm, I'm just learning uh, on some of these roadblocks that we're dealing with. Um, that you know, we've got seven guys in the program, you know, that are left over from back when uh, I don't even know what coach was here, but but three or four coaches ago, you know, and, and think about what those seven young men have, have endured. You know, I think there was an article that came out this week about, you know, Cordell, you know, um, they, I mean, it's been through a lot and, um, and I don't mean this in a horrible way, but it's had a lot of coaches come and leave in his life and kind of, they're not there anymore. 
So, you know, the comment I made to the staff is we're not going to turn our back on the guys. I don't care how bad we're playing right now or how off we are. Um, let's be for the, there for these young men because they're, they're us. They're our guys, and uh, we got to get them to play better. And, and um, you know. Got to get them to play better. Playing in a Division II opponent, probably you're going to be favored to win here. Finally get that first win. That's going to go a long way to kind of turning things around. Once again, this is a rebuilding project, and this is rebuilding a program that was on the downturn even before the hurricanes hit. So this is, you know, decisions, recruiting mistakes that have been made over the years. Then the hurricanes just amplified everything, if that makes any sense. Now, they're playing an opponent, once again, that's going to play keep away. They're going to want to put together long scoring drives with the triple option, old school football, so to speak. And Coach Goff was asked, does he need to have a little bit more patience this week, so to speak, when it comes to the play calling based on that matchup? Jim, my patience is gone. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't want to say patience. We, we just got to take advantage of what they give us. Now, we're, we're, there'll be some things we can't force, right? I mean, if they're, if they're going to drop their three safeties uh, deep, then you know, there's not going to be any place to you know, throw the ball downfield. Uh, so, but you, we got to see some opportunities. If they do want to bring pressure uh, and play some man coverage behind it, we got to capitalize on that. Um, you know, but it, it, it's um, on the back end as to whether we're going to be able to attack them. Once again, Mississippi College, the Choctaws come to town there at Cowboys Stadium, but they did get a bit of bad news. You know, they've reshuffled this roster. They've had to reshuffle the defense. Remember, they lost some, some, so many guys out of their secondary. One guy's now playing at LSU. Another guy's playing at Marshall that played for this team last year. They had to revamp the secondary. They got some bad news during last week's loss to Alcorn State about their starting corners. Both are out for the year. You know, both, both the corners, you know, talk about unfortunate, both starting corners, back-to-back uh, -back series, they're done for the year, done, done for the year. You know, we'll, we'll look and see if there's a possibility of a red shirt, a medical red shirt or not. Um, but, yeah, so we had good depth there. We're still okay, but we we got to stay healthy. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough when you revamp things and then all of a sudden you have to go and have to reshuffle your lineup and get a couple of new starters. That's just that's just tough. Once again, 7 o'clock kick tomorrow night inside the whole Cowboys Stadium. McNeese hosting Mississippi College. Now it's time for us to make our picks. The producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names with help from the man who keeps this thing afloat, Dylan. They're going to give their picks for the weekend. Dylan's a huge sports guy, loves football. Can boy, boy, he can. If he would allow me, I'd bring him on to do analysis about the weekend slate of games. But man's busy. When you when you dress like a million bucks, that's how it works. So let's get started. Three college teams this weekend. Let's start off with those Cowboys who we just heard from. Desperately looking for a win, 0-3. Hannah, how do you like McNeese versus Mississippi College tomorrow night in the hole? I mean, I need them to get that win. I feel bad for them. I watched the game last weekend. It was just not great. So I would say they still pull out the win, even though the corner's out, and they're having their, their backups in 23-20. I have a similar score. I think they get the win. It's going to be hard fought. 
This program is trying to build something. I like McNeese to beat Mississippi College 24-21. to Let's move on to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They open up Sunbelt Conference play on the road in Funroe, taking on the Warhawks. This game was a laugher a couple seasons ago, but typically it's weird. Typically it's close. UL still trying to find its offensive identity. Still hasn't found it yet. Hasn't found that consistency. They're coming off a humbling defeat to Rice. I like the Raging Cajuns to eke out a close win, closer than what Raging Cajun fans would like. I think it's going to be 27-24. There's going to be some shenanigans involved up in Fun Road tomorrow, but I like the Cajuns to pull out a hard-fought win. I mean, I haven't seen them lose to the Warhawks once since I've been in college and at Louisiana, so I say they pull out a 27-17 win. Let's go to LSU. New Mexico, the Lobos, they're feeling good about themselves. They're unveiling some fancy uniforms that they're going to wear for their trip to Death Valley. But I think this is not a close ball game. LSU's feeling good. Even without Kayshawn Boutte there, the former Westgate High and LSU All-American, he's going to be excused from the game for the birth of his child. Congratulations to him for that. And we'll have prayers for him and his family that everything goes perfectly okay. Even without Kayshawn there, they're coming off the win against Mississippi State. This is going to be closer to the Southern score than it is anything else. I like LSU to win comfortably 45-17. to uh, After listening to Eddie Nunez and Jordy Holberg yesterday, their interview for New Mexico, I say LSU does win it really big, 55-14. And finally, the Hoodats, the black and gold. They find a way. I, 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 it's not going to look pretty. The offensive line still is not quite there. Jameis Winston is banged up. He's still not quite there. The defense, I feel like, will do a better job. I think they'll get their pass rush going. I like them to win the game, but it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I think this is going to be a Will Lutz field goal difference. 17-14 Saints go into Charlotte and come out with the win. I see the Saints pulling out a win. I think it is, for most Saints fans, really even trying to believe in Jameis more than they already don't. I said need to pull out the win, so I need a 21-17 win over the Panthers. 21-17. Those are our picks, of course. We'll share them later with you on social media. And, of course, Kevin Foote will give his picks later. Uh, a good friend of ours just texted me, says, I'm drunk. I can only imagine what that's about. I hope he explains. There's dots on my phone, so I think he will. We have to take a timeout, but before we do, hey, want to tell you about my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. They offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now offers an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and guess what? No stinky odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the terrific products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Go visit lmgelite.com today, or you know what? Just stop by their soon-to-be finished, renovated showroom located right there on I-49 north across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. We got to take a timeout when we return. Fantasy football advice from our expert, Zach Miller. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. 
But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Joining us now on RP3 and Company is the former Fantasy Football League champion of RP3 and Company, personal friend of yours truly, Zach Miller. Zach, I scored 142 points last week, and I lost. What hope do I have, now starting off 0-2 in the Fantasy Football League, of even remotely having a chance to turn things around when I'm scoring 142 points and I'm still losing. Okay, so let me remind you and myself, because I'm also 0-2, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint, my friend. Thank you, bud. Thank you. I needed that. Okay. I needed to hear that. I, so did I. I'm reassuring myself as we go. <laughs> so here's, <laughs> here's the thing. When, when injuries start to pile up and bye weeks become a factor, that's when the depth of your team and your ability to make waiver wire, smart waiver wire transactions, trades, and manage your team, that's when the cream rises to the top, and then that's when you're really going to see that separation. So, you're fine. Thank you, bud. Thank you. I hope. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I hope to. I hope to. Oh, uh, uh, all right. So let's uh, let's start off with this Saints Panthers matchup. Are you starting e- either one of these quarterbacks? Uh, unless you're in a really deep super flex or two quarterback league, no. There, there are definitely better options out there. I mean, I would start Jared Goff this week over either one of those guys, who, by the way, is currently the QB9 right now. Um, And he's going against a team that can't seem to stop anybody from throwing all over the field. So, yeah, uh, to your point, if Jared Goff is available and those two guys are my options, I'd I'd pick up Goff off of waiver wires before I had to start Winston or um, Mayfield this week. Is it panic time for folks that have Indianapolis Colts offensive skill position players? Uh, Ooh. Uh, unless their name is Michael Pittman. Uh, I mean, you know, the running back there, he's going to be fine. Uh, I, I know when they're handing them 30 carries a game, that's really not sustainable. But Matt Ryan, uh, wow, I was Ooh. I was totally expecting something different in that offense. But not time to hit the panic button just yet. Not just yet. All right. All right, bud. So, all right, let's get to it quarterbacks once again we're not talking about the top line guys right when we do this segment I always have to give that disclaimer we're not talking about the guys that you know you're going to start but let me ask you about Russell Wilson because he was supposed to be the savior in Denver and that offense has looked somewhat pedestrian especially when it comes to putting up points are you sitting are you starting Russ this week I'm not starting Russell Wilson this week Now, they're going against the 49ers who only given up 150 passing yards a game, but that's a bit of an anomaly because that was against the Bears in a monsoon and Seattle last week who they can't throw the ball, to be quite honest with you. But even still, um, the 49ers aren't 
an easy matchup. Um, but yeah, I'm, they're they're definitely better starting. I, I'm starting Matt Stafford and and those guys over uh, over Russell Wilson for sure. Should folks go pick up Jimmy G? Not this week. Not if you're looking to uh, to to start him this week. Um, yeah, he regained the starting job there with Lance's injury, but they're facing the Broncos, uh, who opposing quarterbacks are scoring less than 15 points uh, dating back to last year for the last eight games, I believe. Ooh, good stuff there. All right, bud. Give me uh, – let's go through this fairly quickly here. Give me a must-start and a must-sit at the quarterback position. Um, so, like I said, uh, golf is somebody who I'm, I'm starting if I'm looking for a streaming option. Um, if I was a Lance owner and my quarterback went down um, or, or something like that, Matt Stafford, like I mentioned, uh, is a must start. Also, uh, Kirk Cousins. I, I know he, he bit a lot of people last week. That was on Monday night. We should have factored in the fact that he just forgets how to play football on Monday night. But Kirk Cousins uh, this week should have a, a nice bounce back week for sure. Oh yeah, because it's not prime time. So let's go. Exactly. On, let's go on to running back. Who's a must start? Who's a must sit? Uh, David Montgomery. Um, I'm, I'm starting him. Uh, he went for 120 yards uh, last week, and that was against Green Bay. Now he has Houston, who is last against the rush. Um, so, and the Bears run the ball at a higher percentage than any other team as compared to passing. So their their ratio of run versus pass uh, is heavily favored towards the run. So I'm starting David Montgomery, um, and I am I'm benching Travis Etienne for now. Uh, I'm heavily invested in him in fantasy in quite a few leagues. I was expecting a lot more, but we knew that James Robinson was going to cut into his workload at some point. Uh, but he has completely dominated the touches at this point. So, uh, in as it seems right now, until Etienne can be a little bit more involved, I'm not starting him. Wide receiver, bud, give me a start and a sit. So Cortland Sutton, uh, I'm definitely starting him. Jerry Judy's listed as questionable, but he wasn't practicing yesterday. So even if he does play, which isn't likely at this point, uh, he's not going to be 100%. Uh, and Russ really hasn't developed any type of chemistry with the tight end there. So Sutton seems to be, just by volume, uh, he's going to be the, the person to have there in that Denver wide receiving core. Um, and I'm going to bench Dotson. Uh, three touchdowns through two weeks. Is great, um, but that's not sustainable. He's only getting 11% of the target share there. So those feast or famine wide receivers that are kind of touchdown dependent, um, at some point they're going to uh, they're going to bite you. All right, bud, let's wrap it up with tight end. So Higby, uh, he was you know definitely drafted out of those top 10 tight ends, uh, but he is leading all tight ends and targets right now um, in that matchup this week. Uh, they don't know how to guard the tight end position, so I look for Higby to have a big week. Mike Gusecki is somebody I'm benching. He was, you know, he scored 14 points last week, but that was mostly because of a touchdown. He only had four targets and 40 yards, uh, and that was in a game where two were through for over 450 yards. So he's not really involved in the passing game, and he's going to be very touchdown dependent. So I'm definitely benching Mike Gusecki. Zach. Appreciate you, Tom. As always, brother, good luck this weekend. Hopefully you'll get off the schneid. We'll do it together. How about that, bud? Let's do it together, Ray. Good luck, my friend. See you, bud. we got to take a timeout. When we return here at RP3 and Company, it'll be time to talk with Fletcher Mackle of WDSU. 
out of New Orleans. Big Easy Blitz, Saints-Panthers talk. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. The three-time Louisiana Sportscaster of the Year from WDSU. Fletcher Mackle now joins us here in RP3 and Company. Fletcher, let me ask you this, brother. Uh, it's our poll question of the day. Is this a must-win game for the Saints on Sunday when they travel to Charlotte? I don't I, – I, God, that's such a tough question to answer. Um, I would say no. It's too early in the season. You remember last year the Saints went to Carolina in week two. Sam Darnold – Look like a pro bowler and beat them, and, uh, and yet the Saints still won nine games. Now, here's the thing. I could look back and say that week two game, a tough loss against a bad Giants team, a tough loss against uh, a bad Falcons team. Those three losses, win one of those games and you're in the playoffs. So right. hindsight, you could say, sure, those games were all must-win, so maybe this is a must-win game. But I just feel like, is any game in week three must-win? Um so I, I just lean towards no. I'm sorry. It does, it, but it's a weird feeling, right? When you say it's hard to answer, I agree with you because it feels different because you're starting off with the three divisional games. So I, I think it just feels like it's a must win, right? And and that and plus you don't want to start off one and two. Now the Saints can prove they can rally and do everything like that, but I also think fans have some trepidation here because the offense has looked dreadful for seven of its first eight quarters of the season. What ails this offense, Fletcher? Yeah, I mean, look, Jameis Winston, but getting back to your point, uh, it's, it's not a must win, but it's an important game there because everything of what you just said. You don't want to be one and two. You don't want to be one and two in your division. They're opening up with an unprecedented three consecutive division games to start the season at Atlanta, at Atlanta Tampa at home, and, and now Carolina. So all the things you said make it an important game. Again, must win to me is we win or we're out the playoffs or we win or the season's over. Like those to me, I, I always define must win is, you know, more gravity to the situation, if you will. But what you're asking about the offense is true. Look, seven of eight quarters, they've played two games. One quarter, the fourth quarter against Atlanta, the offenses look good. Seven quarters, the offenses look downright bad. And, and to me, I lay blame at one person, and that would be Jameis Winston, because he plays the most important position on offense. And therefore, I would say this is a very important, if not a must-win game for him, because we hear about the back injury, which uh, childishly, I don't understand why. He just doesn't want to talk about it. I shouldn't say childishly. That's not fair. But it's just frustrating that the report is out there. Sources have confirmed to us that he's dealing with the back injury, but he refuses to acknowledge it or address it in any way. And to me, that makes it a bigger deal. If he would just say, yes, I have stress fractures in my back, or yes, I have fractures in my back, but I'm not going to use this as an excuse, we'd, be, we'd move over it. But the fact that he refuses to even acknowledge it lends itself to questions of, is the back injury affecting your play? Should they go to Dalton? And if the offense goes out there 
against a pretty unsung Carolina defense and struggles again, the questions will be, is he hurt? Can he play? Should you rest him? Should Andy Dalton play? And, and those, look, until Jameis has a game where he's consistent, the Andy Dalton lurking in the background talk is going to be at the surface. And, uh, and what does this offense do? Jameis makes better decisions because on his interceptions on Sunday, he, made, he was the Tampa Bay version of himself, not the Saints version of himself. So I want to see him check down, not gamble, dump it off to his playmakers, and, and hopefully I think the Saints have more play, playmakers in Carolina and the Saints can win this game. But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting matchup, and it's an important game for New Orleans, and it's an important game for Jameis. I also wonder, Fletcher, with Pete Carmichael's play calling, because I always think it's a combination here with the quarterback and the play caller, right? And they ran the ball really well, and I know Ingram coughed it up, and that was brutal. That changed the momentum of the game when he did that. But he had 10 carries. He was averaging six yards a pop, and they went away from the running game, and it's not as if they were involved in a shootout and they were down by three touchdowns. Their defense was doing their job against Tampa Bay's offense, it just doesn't feel like Jameis and Carmichael are on the same page. Like they, they haven't figured out each other yet, if that makes any sense. Sure. I, I definitely see a, a little of that. That was, if you recall last year with Peyton, it was Peyton and Jameis are still figuring it out. And, and Alvin Kamara, besides the Seattle game last year when Jameis played, was a non factor. And you could That's almost right. see the frustration in his face because Jameis was not a dink and dunk guy. And, and, and hadn't really figured out Peyton's offense. Peyton hadn't really figured him out. I certainly think Pete Carmichael is a little bit of a different play caller than, than Sean Peyton. Here's the one thing that someone told me, and, and it was, to me, eye-opening. The one thing that, that, that I was told is that, unlike Sean Peyton, Pete Carmichael, look, Pete Carmichael is a Sean Peyton disciple. He was here since 06. The offense is basically the same. But Pete will call more shot plays and Pete will allow the quarterback to push the ball down the field Sean was okay with death by a thousand cuts so to say we'll just dink and dunk teams to death that's what he did with Breeze when when Breeze was kind of washed his last couple of years Pete is not afraid to get the ball down the field but in the game on Sunday what you saw is Jameis taking those shots when he had underneath routes and that is where I think Pete has to coach it out of Jameis a little bit and why we saw that Sean had a death grip on Jameis last year of, I don't even want you thinking of pushing the ball down the field because when you try to push the ball downfield, you probably turn it over. I don't care if it doesn't look pretty. You're going to think and dunk it, and we're going to get away with this. So I think that Pete is a play caller, probably has to be a little bit more conservative. And, yes, I certainly could have seen him stick with the run a little bit more. But I think he looked at the game against the Carol- against Atlanta the week before and said, I let Jameis cook a little bit. And Jameis made some amazingly big-time throws against the, ta- against the Atlanta Falcons. And I think Pete thought, okay. Okay, I yeah. can, I, I'm going to – my thought process is it was – they played toe-to-toe with an unbelievable team. The defense did an unbelievable job against Brady. And now I'm going to let Jameis do what he did against Atlanta. I'm going to give him a little bit more – of an opportunity here, and, and it did him. And, and so now I think you have to weigh. I gave, him, I gave him a little bit of an opportunity against Atlanta. We needed to do that to get back in the game, and he, he manned up and was awesome. I did it against Tampa, and he cost us. 
So now going forward, what do you do? And, and that's what I'm curious to see. We're talking with Fletcher Mackle of WDSU, NBC Sports out of New Orleans. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. What's the game plan going to be heading into Carolina against a Panthers team with their coach who appears to be on the hot seat, a quarterback that may not be meshing with his head coach, and an offense that has Christian McCaffrey but isn't all that dynamic? What's the game plan for the Saints to go in there and get a win on Sunday, Fletcher? So I think the game plan for the New Orleans Saints is to be conservative, that the one thing you don't want to do is give this team opportunities Jameis cannot turn the ball over in their own territory. Just like the New Orleans offense, the Carolina offense is really struggling to find, you know, another gear right now and show that they can beat teams or put teams away. But their defense is actually pretty formidable. And so to me, whether it's ugly or not, the Saints have to play this conservatively and not go out there and try to think we're going to throw it around, we're going to take advantage of this team. I think the Saints are the more talented team. But Carolina has lost two games by a combined five points, and they've been in both games right away, right away in the whole time. So to me, I think you'll see a very conservative run the ball, hit the check down, let our defense play, and let's get out of here with a 17-13 win or a 20-14 win and, and move on and continue to grow and, and, and understand that top to bottom. Look, top to bottom – the Saints are better than Carolina. Top to bottom, the Saints are better than Minnesota. Top to bottom, the Saints are better than the Seattle Seahawks. And, and while it may not be great to say you, you got to, you know, don't beat yourselves, take it, take it very conservative approach, I think that's what New Orleans has to do, especially after the fourth quarter against Tampa Bay. So I think that's what they will do this week, and I do think they're going to win this week. Fletcher, one more for you. Is the biggest thing they need to do is – not to dwell on the atrocious officiating that occurred against them. I look, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm just not. I think the problem with the NFL with this officiating is incompetency. They don't have full-time officials. They don't have proper training, and they don't hold them accountable. And when you have that, you're going to have incompetency and inconsistency, and I think that's the bigger issue for the NFL, and they just don't care. But, you know, yet again, the game really turned on the Roby penalty in particular is the biggest challenge for Dennis Allen and his team not to have his guys dwell on the fact that they got, you know, jobbed yet again by the officials? Yeah, and, and, and look, that wouldn't be the first time it, uh, something like that has happened to New Orleans. I mean, we can go back way past the no-call. The one thing about this organization, and I think it was created by Sean Payton, is, and I love it, and, and that's what I don't like about Jameis' back, what I, I, I alluded to before, is – the way they're handling the Jameis back situation is not the Saints way that was created under Sean Payton. Sean Payton, whether you liked him, didn't like him, whether you thought he was a bully, whatever you thought of him, and he was a great coach, he was not an excuse maker in any way, shape, or form. And, and so he did not allow the bad officiating and the bad calls to linger and become us against them or they're out to get us type deal. And the one thing about Dennis Allen is he's super smart. Like Covering him now is the head coach. I had no idea just the depth of his football knowledge, how, how really smart he is and sharp he is in the moment. And, uh, and I, I don't think it's something that will linger. I don't think they've talked about it. I don't think they will create the drama over it. Do they know what happened? Yes. Are they moving on from it? Without question. Fletcher, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing down there, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Thank you anytime. I appreciate it.
So Fletcher's kind of in line with us. It's going to be an ugly game, but I feel like the Saints are going to pull it out, find a, find a way to make enough plays. And if they need to win ugly, hey, once again, you don't get style points in the NFL. Speaking of the NFL, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings. Stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years of age to play. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in is required. Parlay and wagering restrictions do apply Eligibility and terms can be found at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partners, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. we got to take our final time out of today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foote and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to face your worst nightmares with the game's 13th gate giveaway. We have your VIP tickets for the legendary Haunted House attraction. That way you can scream over and over again while others have to wait in line. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score a pair of VIP tickets to the 13th gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Final results of the poll question of the day. Is Sunday's game a must-win for the Saints? 78% of you say yes. 22% say no. I don't think it's a must-win. I feel like it's a really important game, like Fletcher said. But you don't really want to go 1-2 and to start the year, and that would be all your divisional games. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, James Yasko from the Time Time Podcast, Wendell Davis, LSU All-American, Zach Miller, fantasy football expert and Fletcher Mackle from WDSU in New Orleans. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday morning, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs>